0: time here. Lord Jesus, I thank you that um, you are a man of sorrows. You know and have walked among us. You know what it is to grieve. And God, I just thank you that you have loved people. You you show us how that full range of emotions from anger to love to um, just sadness and, and grief. God, and I and I, and I thank you that you're with us. You're, you're the one who ha, is sending us by your Spirit. You're the one who is building your church. And God, we give you the thanks. I just give you the praise for this time where we can sit there and look um, deeply into your Scripture now. I just um, pray for your strength to, to speak only what you want me to speak. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Um, so we're going to talk this morning um, in Colossians. We're gonna uh, We're going to be in Colossians 1. Uh, verses 24 through 29. Again, that's page 983. And if you want to start, I'm gonna only I'm gonna reference about three more verses um, in John. We're gonna be in John 14, 15, and Acts 9, and Revelation 6. So you don't have to don't put all your fingers in the Bible like this. But just to note, we're gonna be in John 14 and 15. Acts 9, and then Revelation 6. So that's kind of where we're going to go today. So this is a fast. I'm going to read this passage um, here in, in Colossians. Colossians 1, uh, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, That he powerfully works within me. So this first um, verse here in in, uh, verse 24, he says that he rejoices in what he has suffered for the Colossian Church. And you know, that's not necessarily, we don't put those two side by side that I rejoice in my sufferings. Um, And I think. You know, this is what we talked about in the Sunday school class is that only with God are you able to kind of pull those together because the world will say, I'm going to push that suffering beside or I'm going to forget about it or I'm going to just minimize it. But only in our sufferings through Christ and as he meets us as the one who has suffered as well that we can rejoice in what those things are that we suffer in life. But he also says something here that's absolutely strange um, That I, in this first verse. It's just strange. It blows my mind. Um, and I wanted to kind of focus on that. He says, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. What? You know, I thought that Jesus paid it all. You know, he paid it all um, and that it should be finished and complete. Um, and, I, of course, it is theologically. We know that it's complete. And yet, Paul says there's something lacking, um, something lacking um, in Christ's afflictions, and he's, he's going to fill that up. So, in order to understand this better, let's flip over to John, um, page nine zero one. For those who want to flip fast, faster than others. So, in John fourteen, we're going to look at John fourteen, verse twelve, and then keep uh, kind of flip also to John fifteen. 18 through 21. So, John 14, uh, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And one of the promises that Jesus says to us is that you're going to do the things that I did but you're going to do, as the followers of me, you're going to do even greater things than, that, than what he did. That's an odd thing to say. Then Jesus says also in 15, John chapter 15, if you'll turn over to verses 18 through 21. So keep that in mind, that Jesus said that we'll do greater things, but that we'll also uh, we'll do greater things than him. So in, if the world hates you, But all these things that they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in a promise that he said was, Not only will you do greater things in the world as the church, as my body, but also that you will be persecuted, you know, that you would be that the world's gonna hate you, you know, because of me, because of my name. You know, he's like preparing them. Look. As you go out, as you, be, as you do greater things in my name, you also are going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated by the world because of me. Then if you'll flip with me now to Acts chapter 9, that is on page 917. Um, Acts chapter 9, and this is verses, because this is Paul That we're talking about. And in Acts chapter 9, Paul, who was Saul, has had um, an amazing thing happen to him. He's been, the Lord Jesus has come to him and struck him blind. And and then the Lord also comes to a man named Ananias um, in Damascus to tell has a message for Paul. Um, And so in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16, this is what the Lord says to Ananias and what he's got to communicate. To Paul, but the Lord said to him, "Go, for he, meaning Paul, is a chosen instrument, chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." So Paul is not only being commissioned to go and look; he's going to have this great ministry. Right here it comes; it's going to be a great ministry. He's going to. He's going to go to the Gentiles and uh, the kings and the children of Israel. But also, hand in hand with that, he says, The Lord Jesus says that how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's pretty wild. It's pretty wild to think that suffering is a natural thing that comes along with following Christ. It's not something unique or whatever, is that we know that the Lord Jesus suffered. Um, and yet his disciples are also supposed to suffer as well. And then one more um, in Revelation 6. In the very back, um, this is page 1031. Revelation 6. And we're going to... I don't have time to go into everything that's happening here. Um, It's amazing what... The revelation that John has received, and what he sees happen in heaven at the end days, and what happens um, in Revelation nine, um, uh, Revelation six, sorry, uh, verses nine through eleven is what we're going to read. So I won't go into what was the picture here, but this is what he's seeing. Um, he says, "When they, when he, meaning the Lamb of God, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God." And for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Isn't it interesting that the martyrs are told to wait Wait a little bit longer because there are more suffering, more people that must come in, um, and and who are going to be killed as well. And so, if we come back to the passage um, in Colossians one again, if we flip back to there, you know where where Paul is saying that he filled it up. Philippians, Colossians. Thank you. Um, um, that he that, that that what is lacking in Christ's sufferings is that the church. In, through suffering and the sufferings that as a church we go through that these basically fill up what God's plan is for showing Christ through, through the world and it's not just that our sufferings are for nothing but that as we suffer and if we suffer for the name of Jesus in different ways that we complete Christ's work here on earth in an amazing mysterious way but the question, though, for Paul, then, why did he suffer? Why does he suffer? And and then, the answer is for the sake of his body, meaning Christ's body, that is the church. That he, his attitude is like, I want to suffer, in my heart, in my soul, in my body, for the sake of the church. And he's giving him pouring himself out. He says, I became a minister, or other translations say, I was a servant. Um, He was a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given for me. And there's four goals that Paul has here in this passage right here. He says, his first goal, he said, I want to present, um, he says, uh, of which I became a minister um, that was given for you to make the word of God fully known. So he wants to present the word of God to the Colossians, to everyone, that he wants to make it fully known. Then also the mystery hidden for ages and the generations to be revealed. So he wants to re- communicate this wonderful mystery that Gentiles, that, that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, the people who are outside the normal um, b- body or, uh, of faith, the Jews, that the riches of glory of this mystery which Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he wants to communicate that wonderful ministry, that the mystery that Gentiles, these Colossians, that Christ is in them and the the hope of glory. And then third, he wants to proclaim Christ. He says in verse 28, he says, In Him we proclaim. So he wants to proclaim Christ, to raise Christ up, warning everyone, teaching them with all wisdom. So he has this idea of proclaiming Christ, admonishing teaching, encouraging people about who Christ is, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so his fourth goal is that everyone in the church would be mature in their faith in Christ. Now I want to stop right there because it's so easy to detach from this passage. It's so easy to say, oh, that's Paul, right? That, That this is something that Paul did. I mean, he's like this super guy. He's this amazing Christian. He's like, you know, pedestal Paul. You know, we put him up there, you know, that Paul is this amazing person. And these are four goals that he would have and yet i think what i take from this passage is that all of us each person in this room could have these same four goals of presenting god the word of god in its fullness to communicate the wonderful mystery of christ in us proclaiming christ to admonish, admonishing teaching others and to present everyone mature in christ that each person in here has a responsibility has a has something that can drive them to doing that here in, in Amarillo and across the world. So, let me help you relate. I guess or some things I was thinking about because it, it is easy to kind of say, "Well, those are huge goals, John." I don't I don't know about that. But one of the persons I was thinking about was a was a mom. You know, a mom who has small kids. Um, my wife was here, and she asked that question. She said, "John, how do, how does this happen?" You know, what what what? You know, this sounds all great and big and stuff. And I and we just started talking about. It. It's like well, aren't you presenting the word of God to your children? You're presenting the word of God on a regular basis to our kids. You're the one, you you're the one that's your sphere of influence. You're the one that's communicating the goodness and the wonderful mystery of Christ in them, that Christ can be inside them as children. You proclaim Christ, you admonish them, you teach them what is the best ways to follow Christ. And then but then even more with our neighbors, you know, my wife is out spending time with them. She's admonishing, she's teaching those neighbors and giving them hope um, about, Wow, I just dropped that. That's amazing. So um, then, and then finally, you know, but her goal also with our kids is to present them mature in Christ, that they're not just kids that follow Christ on Sundays, but that they would love and, and follow Christ on a daily basis. So that's her sphere of influence right now. Uh, and that's her goal and that's her passion for those things and then I was thinking about you know one of my buddies who's a salesman and he's like John I'm so busy with work how can I do these things how can I do these things and I'm like well what about your employees the guys that you hang out with 20, you know, 18, eight to ten hours per day can you not present the word of God in, the, in its fullness through your life and your deeds and things that you say can you not communicate that mystery that there's hope when they're down and they need and they need hope that Christ can come inside them and and change their life and their marriage. People, you know, the salesmen I know that they're always looking for inner peace. They they practice yoga or they try to do great schemes online, you know, to find that inner peace. You've got it. You've got that hope of glory. You've got that peace in your life. Can you not share that with them? And then for your neighbors, you know, your neighbors and those around you is your goal to make sure that everybody's mature in Christ? What would that look like if all of your neighbors were mature in Christ? Most of my neighbors, they're not even where near that. Um, but what, it, what would it look like that we present them? Um, because it's not the missionaries, it's not the pastors. Um, you are the person that's in that. You're representing Christ in that place, wherever your sphere of influence is. So if that applies to you, if those are your four goals... And, and I hope that you'll take that on. Like Paul, one of the things he says here in verse 29, at the very very end, he says, for this I toil, I struggle with all, all his energy. He struggles with all his energy, meaning Christ's energy. He doesn't just struggle by himself. He struggles with Christ's energy and that Christ powerfully works within him. And I think that's, when you labor or struggle for something, and, we, and you work to um, for things for, for God, and, and you work for that. Three things happen. And these are three things, application things that end up happening when you start laboring and struggle and whatever that is. One is you'll suffer. You know that that's the reality. Is if you're laboring and struggling for something, you will suffer. You will sacrifice your time. You'll sacrifice your comfort. Um, and I remember like there'll be times when you know I would finish a forty-hour work week. Um, and usually it would be 50 hours as an engineer. And I'd finish that work week, and <laughs> you'd get the call it on Friday afternoon. Hey, John, I'm struggling. Can you come over? You know, from one of my brothers um, there in Oasis. Can you come over tonight? And I had planned a nice date with my wife. You know, we were going to sit on the couch and have a quiet moment. And I, as I called and as I as I talked to my wife and we prayed about it, and she's like, you gotta labor over this. We'll do it another day. But my heart would never be there, to be honest with you. As I would drive the 20 minutes to get up to see this guy who lived a while a ways away, there's this thing, God, my heart is not in this. I am tired, I am weak. I do not want to share about you with him. I just want to be, I just want rest. And um, but I'm weak, God, in this moment, and I just ask that you would overcome this weakness. And in that weakness, Usually those are the moments when God would meet me and meet that person more than anything else is in that weakness and that suffering point. And it's not like suffering. I mean, I'm not like, not like some of my brothers and sisters who have really suffered, but, but it was sacrificing my comfort. It was saying that this person is more important than that. Also with my reputation, after word came out um, in, in, my, in my work, it came around that I had been interrogated. And it was really hard because one of my engineers, who I was a manager for, she came up to me and she said, John, what, what are you doing? What are you doing that's so bad that the, the secret police would come and, and take you away? I mean, I thought you were a good person. What are you doing? She starts to pull away from me. She doesn't want to meet with me very often. And several so, of so my colleagues, they started to really avoid me as a result. Um, and my, my reputation in my company had been sacrificed Because I was following Christ. And so sometimes when you labor or struggle in something, you may have to sacrifice your reputation. People will think you're weird. They might think, why is this guy always talking with me about Christ? And yet, the second thing that happens is that you get to see Christ's power working in you. That's the reality. So when you labor and you struggle for Christ and for his church you begin to see Christ's power, that he's the one who meets you in those moments. He's the one that moves through you, and you are able to see things in yourself that he transforms, but he also sees people around you transforming. And that's the third thing you'll see, is that you get to see Christ in them. And I think that's perhaps the greatest reward of all, um, of all the things that we did, the the sleepless nights and the the many weekends, like... (laughs) I remember many times we would drive some of our colleagues, or our brothers and sisters, we'd drive them places because they didn't have a car. And we'd drive them, and, and, and you would just say, Lord, I am tired of driving people around. Um, and yet, every time we drive, we drive to a house where we would go and we'd worship, and then we would leave that place, and they would be refreshed, and we'd be refreshed. So some practical things, just to get into that, is to say, because uh, I don't want to just leave it as this is a great idea, a great message, because that's the worst. Engineers hate that. You know, they hate ser- sermons that got, you know, well, oh, it's a great idea to focus on. But I want to give some practical things um, that I just want to ask you guys just to reflect on and even write something down. So if you have a pen and you're not writing, or your, your phone, if you have your phone and want to take a note on notability, I got introduced to notability this week. And so at the men's retreat, I'm like, hmm. So I'm going to investigate that. So... Who is in your place of influence? Because, you know, um, you have a place that God has put you. You are the ambassador, his ambassador, sitting in that place of influence. Is it your work? Is it your friends? Is it your neighbors? Who is that sphere of influence? Who do you spend time with on a normal basis or could you spend some time with? And write down a few names. Um Start thinking about that. Who are the people that I, I just you bump into, or that you have common things that you already there? Don't try to think about oh, I want to go and do this. You know, uh, you can come over, and, and I welcome you to come with us. But at the same time, I'd like you to choose three people, three names of people that are in your sphere of influence. People. This could be your kids. It could be, um, you know your boss or your your friends um, that you interact with on a regular basis and your neighbors, whoever they are, choose three people. And I would encourage you to just start praying for them daily. Just say, I want to see Christ in these people. I want to see them mature in Christ. I want to see God happening. And so what we did when I gave this challenge, someone challenged me to do this overseas. um, And so I, I was like, I'm going to forget these people. So the best place that I won't forget them is I tape these people's names to my mirror right where I shave every morning, right? And so there's their names, those three people. And I, as I'm shaving, I'm praying for those people to be mature in Christ and and, and see what God does in that place. Um, and then I guess, and then the third question I would ask is, what keeps you from laboring or toiling or talking with these people? Um is it a fear of rejection that you might be re- rejected if you, if you share with them about Christ or that you share your life with them? Is it a fear that's driving you to keep from avoiding that conversation? Well, just lean into that because Christ is going to meet you into that moment. He, it's him that speaks through us, um, not that. and He'll take care of that fear. Maybe you're too tired. Christ's power works powerfully in you, and it will when you're at that breaking point. He will work it through you. Maybe you have too many activities, maybe too many TV shows. I don't know, too much Facebook time. Um, sometimes we got to pull some of those out, those things, and reflect on our lives so that we can make opportunity and time for those people around us. So those are my questions. Those are practical things. Um, in closing, I just want to say that every weary weekend that we were tired um, we had the stress of of balancing my job of forty hours a week, learning Arabic, preparing Bible studies in the midst in the nights, um, hosting Arabs who would just drop by at a, uh, at a drop of a hat. They would just show up, and you're like, "Really? It's ten o'clock at night. Kids are in bed. Come on in, you know, and let's have some coffee." Um, and also subjecting our kids to stress and uncomfortable lifestyle. You know, our kids they they really resisted at times another person we have to go visit, another thing. We have to do this again. Why we have to leave this place that we love. But all of it, all of it I would do over again in a heartbeat. Because Christ was powerfully working in us and to see Christ in our oasis, brothers and sisters, to see Christ in them and see the hope of glory, there it is unimaginable just how um, fulfilling that is to see that. And I love the ending of Colossians. Uh, flip over to chapter 4, please. I love, the end, and, and Paul ends a lot of his letters this way. He ends with final greetings starting in verse 7. I won't read this, but he, he mentions a, a, a bunch of people like Tychicus, if you can say that word, that's what I think it says. Uh, Onesimus, um, Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, um, a guy named Jesus, also called Justice, Epaphras, um, who's laboring, uh, Luke, and another, uh, Demas, um, and Nympha, all these different people who have started to follow Christ, that they, um, they greet you. They greet each one of you. Faith, she greets you and she thanks you for your financial sacrifice because she now knows and she loves Jesus. Thomas, he greets you, and he's grateful to you, because you have wrestled in prayer for him. A demon was cast out of him because of the result of the prayer from this fellowship and others who have prayed for him. Paul, he, a guy we call Paul, he greets you, and he sends. He says, thank you for sending out John and Victoria, and he he was an isolated person. He was by himself. And even though Jesus had revealed himself in a dream, he was isolated and had lost hope. And he thanks you for your prayers because now he, even though he's in the midst of severe persecution at his work and because of, of the government particularly, he now knows that he's been counted worthy for suffering for Christ. And he, And he thanks you because without the prayers, without the support, He wouldn't be there where he is today. I would ask that each of you also continue to wrestle in prayer. I love um, Epaphras in here because he wrestles. I think it's Epaphras. He wrestles in prayer. Would you please continue to wrestle in prayer um, for Oasis? Ask that the church will be unified. So because of the persecution, there's been divisions at times. So I'd ask that you pray for unity. And most importantly, that you pray for boldness for them that they would really be bold even though there is such persecution and hostility. Um, If we can close the recording, if that's okay.